0: Oh, dear. Uh, well, I'm glad you're here and I'm excited about what God has for us this morning. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to take take it and turn to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14, we're nearing the end of our study in the book of Romans. And in that book, it's been a delight for us to To see the vision that that God has for a community of faith. That community of faith, I think he intends to deliberately be dependent upon Jesus and be so determined to love Him that they transform the Roman Empire. I think that's the vision that he has for the church in Rome. In Romans 1-8, through you see that he gives us reasons for that humble dependence upon God, the fact that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, the fact that there is no one that does good, there's not one that's righteous, and even our best efforts to keep the law fall short. And that is why we must trust Christ as our Savior and to give up trying to justify ourselves. That's the message of Romans chapter one through eight. Then in chapters 9 through 11, what he does is he, he applies that doctrine, you might say, or that teaching about justification to the practical problem that the church has. The church there has Jews and Gentiles and they're not getting along. And so he says the reality is that God justifies both Jews and Gentiles in the same way. Everybody comes to God according to the same rules. You must trust Jesus to be your Savior. And so in doing that, he levels the playing field, said one is not better than the other. There's not an ethnic or racial advantage. All must come through faith in Christ. And so he invites the whole community to deliberately depend upon Jesus. But then in Romans chapter 12 through 15, where we are... Today, he, he encourages the church to be determined to love one another. He makes the case that those who are loved by God will love other people. And so we're invited this morning into a life of love into a supernatural way of living that is impossible if, in fact, we're trying to measure up, trying to do our best, trying to impress God with our righteousness. Our only hope is to find Jesus to be our Savior. And when we do, we find love from God that we can share with other people. So let's read Romans chapter 14. I'll begin reading in verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Indeed, everything is clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith you have, Keep it between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever, he, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So here we have an extension from what he talked about last week when there were strong brothers and weak brothers and they saw matters of conscience or things that they felt free to do. They saw those differently. And when they did, there was a conflict as there would be for us when we see things differently. And in Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 12, he simply says three simple Things. Welcome other people who view the world differently than you, because God has welcomed them. Welcome people who see things differently than you do, because their motivation in those things is to please the Lord. And welcome people who see things differently than you do, because they, like you, will answer to God for their opinion. And so after you say that, what do you say? What can you add to that? That's what Romans 14, 14, 13 through 23 is. It's his addition to that, his expansion on those simple statements. And if I had to boil it all the way down till almost nothing was left, this is what I would boil it down to. Love is more important than freedom. Love is more important than freedom. To say it a different way, it is hard to be right and to be loving. It's hard to be right and loving. See, it's easy when you know that you have the truth on your side to have an edge about you. It's easy when you know that you have made the best decision possible to look down on people and make other decisions. It's easy when you're right to be sure that other people then are wrong. And so what he invites us to do here is to love people. And and that is more important than your personal freedom. I heard somebody say it this way earlier this week. They said you need to have a firm center and soft edges. You need to be full of truth for sure, but also full of grace, just like the Lord Jesus who came full of grace and truth. Please do not misunderstand me to say that you need to be wrong somehow so that you might be loving. That is not the case. The imitation is to be right and to still be loving. That's what he's telling us in Romans chapter 14. And so in verses 13 through 16, he makes that as clear as he possibly can that freedom when you are when you are right is great until it's not great. Freedom is great until it's not great. Freedom in the matter of food is right, but to eat, even when you're free to do so, isn't necessarily loving. He says, don't pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the path of a brother. I know that Nothing is unclean of itself. But if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. And here in those verses, he gives five really strong statements. And I'm going to to paraphrase what you have there in your text so that you feel the strength of them. The first one is don't judge. Don't judge except to judge not to put a stumbling block in front of a brother, if you want to make a judgment, put a judgment on yourself so that you don't put a stumbling block in front of someone else. It's interesting. he says, don't judge, but then it's OK to judge, provided you judge the right thing. The right thing to judge is yourself. So that you don't inadvertently cause someone that you ought to love to stumble. The second statement that comes out of those verses is that nothing is unclean of itself. But your conscience can make it unclean. Paul remembers the lessons of the early church. They paid their dues on this. Uh, It was hard. It was a hard fought battle in Acts chapter 10 and 11. We have uh, Peter realizing really for the first time that it's okay to eat various kinds of meat and not to follow the Old Testament ceremonial law. Next, chapter 15, you have the, the church um, deciding not to put an additional stumbling block in front of the, the, all of the new believers, but rather to give them freedom because nothing is unclean in of itself. But, and here's here's the, the, the problem that he's addressing in this text. Your conscience can make something unclean or can make something, shall I say, dirty for you. I'm going to say that a number of different ways throughout the message. The third statement here is, if your brother is grieved, you're not walking in love. If your brother is grieved, you're not walking in love. The whole thing here is an invitation for you to think of the other person instead of yourself. To pursue the good of somebody else instead of to pursue your own good. And so if your freedom is a problem for someone else, the only loving thing for you to do is to limit your freedom. If you don't do that, he says, then in verse 15, you destroy the one for whom Christ died. So don't destroy the one for whom Christ died. When you put it in that, when you put it in that frame of reference, it is, it is really a big problem. I think about this all the time. When I, when I interact with people and when I'm talking to someone, even when I'm talking to you this morning... I don't want to talk about this in such a way that destroys someone for whom Christ died. I don't want to talk about even this in such a way that gives somebody license or, or, or constrains someone so much that they just say, forget it. But it's easy to do that. It's easy to exercise your freedom and have somebody say, I can't tell right from wrong anymore. Why even try? So don't destroy one for whom Christ died. And then verse 16, a strong statement comes out of there. Surrender what you regard as good so that someone else does not experience it as evil. Surrender what you regard as good so that it is not experienced by someone else as evil. Someone in my life, we talked about this last week and they helped me they help me get this i think right because what the idea is here is that this this person who has freedom can do what he's free to do and when he does that someone else can look at that thing he's free to do and say forget it you shouldn't be doing that that's wrong and so better just to not do it and not subject that thing you're free to do to someone else's judgment so they think It's evil or think you're evil for doing it. My experience is that most of us don't think of other people this much. We might think of other people just a little bit. We might we might think about them, you know, when we when we see them on Sunday or maybe you see them in a life group and you think about, oh, I wonder what's good for that person. And you spend about this much of your week thinking about other people. But what he's inviting us to do here is when you're doing anything, you're thinking about what is good for somebody else. And so, don't let your freedom be great for you and bad for someone else. Verses 17 and 18 He provides another reason why love is more important than freedom. And that has to do with the big, big picture of God's kingdom. He says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. What he's saying is it is the internal transformation of a person by the Holy Spirit that determines whether they belong or not. Not how they perform on some external litmus test. What matters is, has someone been transformed by the Holy Spirit? Not do they do every little thing the same way you do it. You can be right about external things. About what you eat or the days that you keep or anything else. I mean, we, we started the service off saying it's the first Sunday of Lent. That is, that is not a law. It is not a rule. It is an opportunity for us to think more about Jesus. So we're taking it. If it doesn't help you, it doesn't help you. I hope it helps you. We're going to try and do things and talk about things that help you. But if it doesn't, it doesn't. But the reality is not what's in any way. It's not important whether you keep Lent or give something up for Lent or do something like that, that whereby you perform a certain task. What matters is the spiritual heart underneath it. It's not the external things. Because the external things do not reflect the nature of the kingdom of God. The principle of God's kingdom is an internal principle, not an external principle. You can be right on the outside and wrong on the inside. That's what he's saying when he says the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. You can be right in those things and wrong on the inside. The spiritual principle the spiritual game is internal not external and if you apply external principles to it it simply doesn't work it doesn't work to try and be christian from the outside in one way you can think about this has to do with uh has to do with basketball shall we say okay when a uh, Make sure that we acknowledge the congregation here from Wilsonville. Wilsonville High School boys basketball team won the state championship last night. Congratulations to them. For those of you that for whom that matters, the three of you for whom that matters. That's great. (laughs) But I assure you that they won the state basketball tournament because they applied the fundamental principles of good basketball to their game. They did not apply, apply the principles of wrestling to their game. Because the wrestling's a different thing. And you wouldn't look at that basketball team and say, they are not very good at wrestling. It wouldn't matter. They're playing a different game. And you see, a Christian is playing a different game than the external game the external game where it measures everything by uh, eating and drinking and keeping days and measuring up and dressing right and being at the right things, doing all of the, the things everyone expects you to do. That's not, the, that's not the game we're playing. We're playing a kingdom of God game that is all about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And to measure success by the wrong game will get you all goofed up. Just by, like, trying to measure a basketball game by wrestling rules, that doesn't make any sense at all. And you know that, but somehow we still apply the wrong rules to our faith. When you measure, when you major on spiritual things and not external things, he says in verse 18, you're acceptable to God and you're approved by men. The third thing that I want you to see that he, he, he's saying here about being right and being loving is to pursue peace, to build people up. And avoid adding stumbling blocks. Pursue peace and mutual upbuilding. Verse 19. Do not for the sake of of food destroy the work of God. Everything is clean. But it is wrong to make another stumble by what you eat or what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. I've been thinking about this with regard to our group here this morning. And I've been thinking about it all week long. And what a beautiful um, encouragement this says. Let us pursue what makes for peace. And I And I thought about that. And I thought about what if each one of us says one of the aims of my life is going to be to make for peace with other people. And I'm going to consider what I can do when when I'm talking with someone, I'm praying for someone, when I'm thinking about someone, when I'm afraid of someone, when I'm angry with someone. I'm going to think, what can I do that's going to make for peace with them? And if I pursue that, You know what? That's going to completely change the relationship. And I thought, what if that changed all of these relationships? That would be cool. That would be really cool. But then I thought, look at verse 19, he said, pursue mutual upbuilding. Then I thought, what would it be like if every person here said the new goal of my life is to build somebody else up. To encourage someone. And every encounter I see is an opportunity to pursue that. So that if I accidentally see someone at a grocery store, or if I plan to see them at Life Group, or if I make it my aim to give them a phone call, Or send a text or whatever. I'm going to see what I can do to build somebody up. I mean, all of a sudden, that just erases so many negative things that we would otherwise preoccupy ourselves with. And it gives us a freedom in our relationships that's absolutely beautiful. This twofold pursuit of peace and building other people up changes how thoughtful I am about other people, how kind I am to other people. Both aspects of this pursuit answer the question, what is best for you? I like the question better, what's best for me? OK, that question's that question's just sort of falling off the table here, because now the question is, what's best for you? And when I ask that question, it completely changes my interactions. I want to stop here because I know that some of you would classify yourselves as people pleasers. You know who you are. And you feel the pressure all the time, don't you, of other people's expectations. That's not what he's talking about here. Because most of the time when you're thinking about pleasing other people, it has to do with you, not with them. It has to do with the way you're feeling about yourself in hoping that you get their approval and you're thinking about how you're feeling. And I think what he's inviting us to pursue is not so much how we're feeling, but how can we make them feel? How can we build them up? And see, building someone up and pleasing them are very different things, and sometimes they're actually contrary. Sometimes you'll be able to build people up, and they won't actually like it. Or at least initially, they won't think that they like it. So we're not talking about pursuing peace and Trying to build someone up for your own validation, for your own acceptance, for your own uh, release from fear. That's what Romans 1 through 8 is all about. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. And on and on and on so that you're free then to think about the other person. And not to try and receive from them approval that makes you feel you're you're already approved by God. You see you see how the doctrine of Romans shapes the practice in Romans. Because I am already accepted, I can accept other people. And so I want them to be the focus of the interaction. And the beneficiaries then of God's work. I think I need to stop and just point out that if you are careless about these things. You can destroy the work of God. I think I need to stop and talk about that and draw your attention to that. Because he says it twice. You can destroy the one for whom Christ died. You can destroy the work that God is doing in them if you're careless about your freedom. If you're thinking more about your freedom than you are loving someone else. And there are all kinds of opportunities for this to happen. And the ones, the ones that I can think of, the ones that come to mind about freedom and that hurting someone else's conscience are so painful, I don't want to talk about them this morning. You know, people who have cringed or left the church or have given up or have been extremely hurt or relationships have been broken because of carelessness And so while an activity can be right, doing it might be wrong because it might cause someone to stumble. And so the the burden then comes on me to be prayerful, to be led by the Holy Spirit, to be full of God's Word so that I'm not carelessly causing someone else to stumble. Now, again, I can say all these things in a way, I imagine, that you hear and say, oh, there's so much pressure here. I can hardly stand it. I mean, if I if I make a misstep, I'm going to destroy someone? If I say the wrong thing, it's going to you know, cause someone's faith to crumble? That's awful. And, I, and I, I do want you to realize that your life and your actions and your words Do matter. But I also want you to realize. That the main thing. Is not you and the other person. The main thing is you and the Lord. The main thing is you and God. Look at verses 22 and 23. The faith you have. Keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment On himself for what he approves. In other words, what you are doing in your private relationship with God is that you are walking through your day. You're talking with the Lord about the things you're going to encounter, the decisions you're going to make, the conversations you'll have. And you're ahead of time planning those things, praying about those things, pursuing peace in those things. And you're approaching God about your freedom and about the things that you would otherwise do or not do. The reason that this isn't overwhelming for me is because it's not really about all of the, I mean, Hundreds of relationships that I could possibly have this morning even, which would be overwhelming. It is about the one relationship that I have with the Lord. And I would say if I could distill all of this down, the whole, the whole thing about my freedom and about love, it would all distill down into living every moment for an audience of one. So that I am living for the approval of God alone. That's what I think he has to say when he says the faith that you have keep between yourself and God. I think that's what he's saying when he says whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. And what he's inviting us to do is to live in a way that pleases God, whether you feel free or constrained. Living in a way that pleases God when you speak or when you listen. Having in mind a God consciousness while you're eating breakfast, while you're driving your car, while you're taking a break at work, while you're on social media. Because ultimately it is my pleasing God and my at least attempt and my focus at pleasing God that then frees me to be loving toward other people. I said earlier that an activity might be wrong because it causes someone else to stumble. And I can't know that all the time. And so I want to bring those things before the Lord. But an activity might also be right but wrong for me because my conscience won't permit me to do it and still believe I'm pleasing the Lord. Because ultimately, what matters is not what I do, not the external thing that I conform to or participate in, but whether or not I'm pleasing the Lord. And so I I love I love verse 23. It is such a great summary of the Christian life. The Christian life is lived by faith. What God wants from you is a life of faith. And faith means doing what God says. It means doing your best when God doesn't say, Exactly something you need to hear about exactly something you're going to do. It means thinking about what God might want and doing your best to please Him in that area. Living a life of faith means I'm going to trust God that pursuing love toward you is going to be better than pursuing my own thing. Pleasing you is going to be better than pleasing myself. Whether I'm right or not. Because it's more important that I'm right. Or excuse me, it's more important that I'm loving than that I'm right. i just wondering if anyone's listening still. That's good. A couple of you were. Thank you. Whatever is not of faith is sin. The Christian life is a life of faith, not performance. It's a life of faith lived with a view to please God. And so, if you are not living a life of faith, you're in sin. If you are not searching for what will please God and what God wants you to do, it's sin. If you're blowing God off, you're sinning. A life that is not a life of faith is sin. Which makes me want to say, all all I want to do, Lord, is walk with You. I don't want to make some careless mistake because I'm not trusting You. And so there's this beautiful combination here in Romans chapter 14 that really sums up in some regard the book of Romans. Whatever is not of faith is sin and it's more important than to love than to be right. And so you have the first part of Romans that is all about why you need to trust in Christ. And what is so beautiful and good for you and glorifying to God for you to trust in Christ and to live a life of faith. And you have chapters 12-15 through which say, you know what, it is beautiful to live a life of love. This life of faith and this life of love Mark, the Christian, and the beautiful thing is when that happens, when that happens day in and day out, when we're growing in that and when we're building each other up and helping each other grow in that, you know what happens then? We are transformed individually. We're transformed as a community so that. We live lives that are distinct from those on the outside. And. The world is subverted by the love of Christ. That's what happened to the Roman Empire. I, mean, I just love the letter to Rome because it is his strategy for undermining the most powerful authorities in the world. It is, it is the strategy of God for transforming the kingdom of men and bringing the kingdom of God. It is this life of faith and love that makes the church an unstoppable force in the world on behalf of another world. The church becomes an irresistible force for the true King in the arena of earthly kingdoms. And that, I believe, is the strategy of the book of Romans, it is a vision for not merely the church, but the world. That God might receive glory as His people live by faith in Christ and live in love toward one another. Being both right and loving. Being full of grace and full of truth. May God... Help us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I do ask for your help. I ask for your help that we might live lives of faith in you. That's why we're praying. Because we realize that in ourselves there's no way. That we can generate the kind of love that we need for other people. The kind of self-denial that Jesus had on the cross. Father, there's no way that we can esteem others as more important than ourselves apart from Your grace and work in our lives. And so, we come back to the cross. We confess our need for Jesus again. And then, Father, we ask that you would help us to live out our faith in Jesus in a way that is loving toward those who are different from us. We ask this in his name. Amen.